Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. Hello and welcome to another edition of The Thriller Zone. I'm your host, David Temple. And on today's 46th episode, I'm very excited to welcome Mark Grady of Sierra 6 fame. The book drops in less than a week. And as you and I both know, the Gray Man series has found an enormous following and huge success. In fact, Ryan Gosling, have you heard? Starring as the Gray Man. There is so much to uncover about this series, and I want you to hear every single bit of it. Also, I got a chance to ask Mark some of the questions that I've often wondered about him. When you find someone this successful and you kind of want to know what the secret sauce is, you're going to find out some of that today. We're also going to find out uh, in rapid fire questions just how he, uh, <laughs> how he views life and uh, situations. Let's just leave it at that. Anyway, I'm pretty geeked out, as you can tell. So let's you and I get into the Thriller Zone with Mark Graney. Welcome to the extravaganza known as the Thriller Zone. I'm happy to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, I say we just jump into it, and we're going to be talking about this gorgeous 500-page. Uh, man, uh, I'm going to gush a little bit more later, Mark, so maybe <laughs> I won't do it too much now, but uh, I, I love this book. It's Thank you so much, Dave. Rarely do you get to find a book, at least I don't, and I'm reading a lot of them for the show, where you start finding yourself squeezing in little times on a very busy schedule where you're like, can I just get in a couple of chapters here? Yeah. Maybe, maybe a little over here. Yeah. And this was one of those. Well, I love that. That's because I, that's my experience with books. You know, you know, you you're enjoying a book when you, you just can't, you hate to tear yourself away from it and can't wait to get back. Yeah. And I, and I know it's a little bit of a cliche, but I, I you know, I, I start very early in the day, usually about four thirty five o'clock. And mm -hmm. some of that's writing time. Some of that's uh, preparation time. Um, if it was a particularly long day the day before, I'll say, honey, uh, you just keep things quiet because I'm grabbing myself a little mark and we're going to go in the corner and just mm -hmm. uh, get busy with CR6. So awesome. I love hearing that. And it's dropping what a week from tomorrow correct the 15th so a week from tomorrow awesome and by the way um not to toot this horn too loudly but this is the perfect birthday gift for me my birthday's tomorrow and all right and i'm like you know what this is having mark granny on the show is about as good as it gets in my book uh, i appreciate that happy birthday in advance yeah uh turning 40 finally no good <laughs> I've, I've, I've done that 14 times so far. <laughs> what do you do to stay in shape? I got to ask that you, you look fantastic all the time. Thanks, thanks for saying that. You know, I, I started working out three and a half years. I mean, I kind of always had a gym membership and would do the like, you know, three times a month thing and never really get anywhere. And, uh, about three and a half years ago, July 1st, 2018, I started, uh, working out very, you know, I, very few breaks. And um, now I have a small gym in my house and I've spent the money to get some nice equipment. And it's a very small gym, but it's got nice stuff. And, uh, and I make myself do about an hour a day 
um, most of the time. And it's mostly just, and I also take my dogs to the park. We have a big 100 acre off leash dog park near where we live. So, uh, I do a couple of miles a day with the dogs, which, which helps too. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'll admit, and I'm, I'm guilty of this pretty, maybe perhaps more than I should say, but I do a fair amount of Instagram stalking. Mm-hmm. And I, I did zoom in on some of your equipment going, that's a nice rack. I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's really nice, especially for the, the space that I have. Um, it, it, and it's also it's right off my bathroom. And when I when I was looking at buying this house, I was going like, if my gym's there and I put stuff in it, I'm going to feel like the biggest loser if I walk by it every day and don't work out at all. So <laughs> it actually has work to keep me, you know, keep me going back to it because it's like, yeah, I keep looking at it and it's looking at me. I think I should get my workout in. It's like those years, were you one of these guys that way back when you got that, whatever that machine was at, at the day, uh, some kind of a flex something and you like- The bow flex. Yeah, yeah, yeah bow flex. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I'm really going to get on this. I'm really, and then you go- why is that turned into my hanger for most of my? Yeah, clothes? that's where that's where all your clothes go to <laughs> to hang. Yeah, no, I, I I couldn't afford a Bowflex. I probably had um, I I had my clothes laying on um, something more mundane than that. I guess. Yeah. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, <clears throat> we we're covering the fan that I'm the uh, fact that I'm a fan and that you got a hit on your hands. We'll get to uh, Sierra Six that we said in just a minute. But man, one of the other biggest pieces of news, and I've been following this for a while, and probably because I spent three tours of duty in Los Angeles. Um, uh, Ryan Gosling. How about having Ryan Gosling, one of Hollywood's biggest stars ever, playing the gray man on Netflix? Yeah, it's it's magnificent. It's, it's still surreal to me, and I've known about it for, uh, you know, coming on two years, a year and a half, and it's still surreal that it's happening. I originally optioned the gray man before it came out in 2009, so it's been bouncing around Hollywood for 12 or 13 years, and in that time, it's gotten kind of close a couple of times, which was always a surprise to me because I never thought anything would happen uh, with it, you know, other than getting an option. I got some money and, you know, it was a nice feather in your cap to say that your book is in Hollywood. And I figured that's where it would end. But uh, over the years, there was a lot of big actors whose names were being you know, thrown around as they were interested in it. So when it finally came to Ryan Gosling, you know, I heard about that in early 2020, I guess, I, I didn't even... I made no reaction whatsoever because I was like, yeah, that is literally the 15th name I've heard in the last 10 years. And I probably will hear another name, you know, a few months later. And then they they went forward with it. So I'm, I couldn't be more excited. I've read the script and I uh, love it. Really good job. You just brought up two quick questions, uh, having dabbled in and around Hollywood, as I said, for so many years. <clears throat> One is, isn't it funny how um, Hollywood, you know, it, it isn't a, uh, the wheels of Hollywood only turn as fast as the people in power want them to turn, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. And there, there's a lot of, it, every time some something looked like it was going to happen and it fell apart, it always fell apart for these reasons, like the head of the studio left or, um, you know, these two people, are, you know, had to go work on something else or whatever. There was always this reason where you feel like, oh my gosh, I got... Yeah, you know, I got, I got so close, but then just, you know, life gets in the way. And I think just the stars have to align in an amazing way to, to get, you know, a, a film made. And it was really almost taken out of my hands when the Russo brothers got involved and they wrote the screenplay and they directed it. And once once they and when I said out of my hands, it was basically like they were shepherding this thing beautifully through. Uh, you know, what needed to be done in Hollywood. And I just kind of sat back because Joe and Anthony Russo 
they they really enjoyed the story and they had me come out to California and before they wrote the script and, and talked to them. And I thought like, wow, this is in really good hands. These guys like like my book more than I do. <laughs> and it made me happy. And um, and and everything they said they wanted to do is is what's happening now. So it's all been pretty great. Wow. And for those folks who don't know who Joe and Anthony, they they're little independent, uh, tiny little movie guys. You 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 may have heard these little indie films, I think it's called Captain America and Avenger. Yeah. To and the tune that, of like, was it $3 billion? I think yeah, those movies? I, I know there's a B involved. I, I don't know how much, but they're, they're, they're doing really well for themselves. And um, yeah, they wanted to do this even before I think they had done winter soldier when I, I started talking to them. And, uh, but then they were asked to do uh, uh, um, end game, infinity war and end game. And they got sort of pulled off of the project, but Joe Russo had written a fantastic script, which was kind of hanging out in Hollywood for a few years. And then he went and got his script and got the rights to, to move forward with it. And, you know, here we are. You have a really healthy attitude. I, I love the way that you started off by saying, yeah, <clears throat> it sounds good. I'll believe it when I see it. Oh, yeah. really? Uh, fill in the blank. Oh, great. Oh, fill in the blank. Oh, great. Until the finally you see it being made, you're like, oh, shit, this thing is for real now. <laughs> well, I even thought I was the last naysayer. Everyone else was like jumping for joy. And I was like, oh, come on. It's going to fall through. I don't care what they've announced. I don't care what's been on deadline or variety. Um, you know, something's going to happen in this whole thing. A you know, meteor is going to hit the planet before this movie comes out. And then, and then COVID happened. And then they, they said they were pushing, starting the filming back. I mean, COVID had been happening for a while, but they, they initially were going to start it last January. And then they pushed back like six weeks. And I was like walking around everybody going, I told you, did I call this? You know, they're, they're never going to film this thing. And then once they started filming and once I started seeing, uh, you know, scenes of helicopters flying over French countryside with machine guns, just like in the book and stuff. And then at that point, you're like, wow, this actually might happen. But yeah, I've always taken it all with a grain of salt because it just seems so incredibly improbable. But, uh, you know, happy to be here. Yeah. Again, a healthy way to look at it. And did you that was the other part of my question was when you got to see um, maybe little snippets of it or some kind of in process, you had to have had that the joy must hit you that going, Oh, they have not massacred the book. They've actually integrated yeah. my story into what's yeah. going to appear on the screen. Well, I, I, I was already confident cause I'd read Joe Russo's original script and I thought it was like, you know, every, every film is different from a book and I'm sure there will be some purists that will be like, well, wait, he, his hair goes to his collar in the book and it's cut shorter and, you know, and, and that will throw them off. But I'm not that kind of a person at all. I, I want to see the essence of the character and the essence of the story. And they did so much more than that. I mean, it's a really nice recreation, not just of the gray man, the first book, but they take some components from later in the stories because this CR6 is my 11th novel. And they, they introduce some characters who play big roles later in the series. They go ahead and introduce them in the first one. And they did it brilliantly. If I knew when I wrote the gray man, that it was going to be part of this big series, I would have done the same thing. But at that point I was just trying to get published. So yeah. it's, you know, it is super surreal to, to read the script and go like, oh my gosh, that's right out of that scene. But also to see places where they change stuff. And I go, oh, that's really clever. That that really kind of closes a bit of a hole that I left in the story, you know? So they they 
they did it. They were masters at taking the original work and staying true to it and improving upon it. That's so refreshing to hear because you uh, you often hear uh, so many stories of oh they took the story and they twisted it up and it's nothing like that. So yeah. I love I love hearing that. It also reminds me, I think, because my wife and I just finished binge watching this weekend uh, Reacher, uh-huh. which is uh, the Lee Child story, as you know. Yeah. Have you yeah. have you got a chance to see it yet? No, no, I'm, I'm just seeing everything on social media about people talking about it, and it sounds pretty promising. Well, I find it interesting, and you just said something, Mark, that made me think of this, how people get tied up in little details. Like, they couldn't see Tom Cruise being Reacher because he was so short. And I kind of get that, having read most of Lee Child's books. Yeah. Um, But when you see this new cat, and I'd love to impress you by saying his name, and I can't recall it. um, Alan Richson, something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I... found myself i'll admit it uh i'm gawking at the guy i mean he's a physical specimen and he you know all of a sudden you're like yeah that's reacher right there yeah yeah um there are liberties that stories can take and then liberties that maybe they shouldn't take and i i would agree with someone who says that um jack reacher's imposing size is an important part of the story at the same time you know, I've been standing next to Lee Child a total of 20 minutes in my life, and I've probably seen five people come up to him and, and say, hey, Tom Cruise is short, you know, and so I, I just <laughs> I, I I feel for him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, at one point, the gray man, uh, one, one of the studios wrote a script where they changed the gender of the hero, the gray man uh, to a female. And they wrote a whole script that way. And I read the script. And I thought, wow, this is a, a really good movie. But if I went and saw it in the theater and it wasn't called The Gray Man, which it was still called Gray, Gray Man, and the female lead was uh, still named Court Gentry, um, I wouldn't even recognize it as The Gray Man because it, the story was so, not just because they changed the, the hero from male to female, but the story takes place in Colombia and, and mine takes place in Europe. And there were just all these different changes. And I, at that point, you're like, why, why even use my story? You know, it's like, do I have so much juice in the industry? And I don't <laughs> that you guys need the name of my story to make a, you know, this big tentpole film. Um, so I never really understood that, but yeah, yeah it's, it, it's great when the script is close. I, I look at the directors as artists and the actors as artists and the cinematographers as artists, just like I'm an artist and I put my spin on it in the, you know, hundred thousand word book. And I don't expect Joe and Anthony Russo's to be like some sort of like audiovisual engineers that will take an exact page of my book and render it on screen. I expect them to be the artists that they are and, you know, do what they think is best for, for the, the film thing. And there's going to be fans. They're going to be like, wait, this opens differently than the, yeah. than the gray man does. And honestly, the gray man opened in Iraq during the Iraq war uh, with a scene there. And it's like, that wouldn't make any sense whatsoever to, to open it the same way, but there's going to be absolute purists. I know that because I hear from them on social media all the time who will feel like it, it's too much of a departure, but I think it's 80% of the same of uh, book one and, and elements of other books. And I couldn't be happier about it. You know, and I also want to remind people who are not in the business, and you're you're throwing around a whole lot of language, a little, a lot of Hollywood speak there, Mark. You know, uh, I-, I got juice and tentpole. I mean, 
you're you're Hollywood, babe. Okay, can you just call uh, yeah. my girl and we'll do lunch? <laughs> it took twelve years to get here, but no, it's uh, yeah. You put me up next to somebody from Hollywood, and you recognize that I live in Memphis, Tennessee, really quickly. <laughs> well, you know, I'm also thinking of hearing uh, our mutual friend Jack Carr talk about when he finally got to see Terminal List made, and he goes, "Man, if you'd ever asked me years ago who would be the dream actor and who would be the dream director." And then to see that come to fruition, a mm-hmm. couple of things. First of all, kudos to him for living that dream, right? Yeah, no kidding. Oh, second of all, and I, and I, you know, a lot of people will accuse me for being maybe a little, uh, you know, overly metaphysical or Pollyanna or woo-woo or whatever the hell you want to call it. But I'm a big proponent of seeing what you want, feeling what you want and holding it and working toward it. And I get a sense that you are that way, that if you really, it is a heart's desire of yours and you really do hold it in constant uh, focus as to a dream that you want, I really believe it's kind of bound to happen. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. And, and I think about it sometimes at this stage in my career that, you know, it's like I, I look inwardly and I, and I realize like all my ambition is not about selling more books or anything like that. It's just doing better at this thing that I do for a living and wanting the next thing to be better and the next thing to be better than that. Not necessarily bigger, but just better quality. So, you know, I, I, I love to write. I forget that a couple of times a year when I'm on deadline and things are going crazy. I mean, uh, I literally kind of have to take a step back, throw some cold water on my face and go, Hey, you like writing, remember? And that's why you're getting up and doing this. And, um, you know, I, I, I feel like, you know, everybody that says, you know, you just have to keep working, keep working, keep working and good things will happen. I feel like you have to keep working at something that you're passionate about for good things to happen because there was no way I would write a book if I didn't like writing. If I had an idea for a story and I wanted to get paid for it, I could not have written a book. I wrote a book because I like walking around thinking of stories, developing them, writing them out, editing them, like the whole process. And if it wasn't a labor of love, I wouldn't have gotten anywhere in my career. So I always you know, tell people that are trying to get published or whatever. It's like, take a step back, ask yourself if you like doing it. If you like doing it, then just relax about everything else because there's your reward. And if you get, you know, and then other good things, as you just said, other good things will happen to you if you just uh, keep at it, if you love it. God, I love, what a great soundbite that is. Um, well, and I mean that in, in sincerity because I've, I've, I've talked to so many people and I've been at this for 30 years Mm-hmm. Um, in a lot of different radio stations and talking to people from all walks of life. And I can spot within seconds who is doing it for the money or the wrong yeah. reasons, fill in the blank, and who's yeah. doing it out of just pure passion. Yeah. And yeah. It's all- and I really, I, well, I'm sorry, I, I was going to say, I feel like even if you can churn something out, you know, out of a desire to make money, I don't think you can have a career. Like as far as being a writer, I don't think you could keep going back and developing new things unless you had a passion for it. Um, I, I mean, I hope not. I mean, I hope, <laughs> I hope that people, because there's been some people that I know that have had like one big book and then they never really had anything else after that. And then you wonder if that's just, you know, they had that one story in them and they somehow scrounged down and got it out. 
and there was nothing else. But if you're somebody that really loves what you do, you can replicate it. You have to replicate it. That is a really fine point because, yeah, uh, you know, you hear people talking about, hey, I'm an overnight success. OK, it took me 10 years. But then I yeah. always I always wonder uh, and there's a couple of people coming to mind. I'll keep my mouth shut on. But I always wonder <laughs> what that next book will be like. Yeah. Um, especially when they've come out of the gate with a mind blowing uh, success with yeah. ginormous money and look, uh, what you do, what we all try to do us writers, uh, is no easy task. And anybody who says that it is, you know, I would beg to differ, but, yeah. um, I don't know. I don't want to belabor that point, but I think it's interesting that, uh, y you're echoing a lot of my sentiment, which is mm -hmm. you're coming from passion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the only way I know how to do it. I, I tell people I used to work at Burger King when I was 16 years old. That was a harder job to me than the job that I have now, as far as I'm concerned. Um, not that I don't work a lot. I write two books a year and, and all the other aspects that come with it, but it is something I like to do. Um, you know, it, there's a product cycle of every book that I write where uh, if you it depends on when you, when you catch me, <laughs> if you interview me a couple months from now, I'll be like, gosh, this is the worst job in the world, but that it only lasts a few weeks. I mean, it's, it's literally as you, as you get deeper into your story and you're committed to telling it this way, and then you're having your reservations. And there's, there's a part in every one of my books where I literally just want to give the advance back, flee the country and just forget about it. And you just have to just push on past that. And, you know, I've told myself, this is CR6 is my 21st uh, published novel. So it's like, okay, you've, you've made it happen before. You can do it again. You know, just take a breather. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the passion has to be there. And do you find, do you find it interesting that you are probably single-handedly your worst critic? Yeah. And, and I think that's probably healthy <laughs> overall yeah. Um, yeah. because I mean, I, you know, the alternative is you walk around so full of yourself. And so I've never, I've never been like that. And, uh, you know, there's things that I second guess like crazy in these books. And um, once the reviews start coming in and other people start reading them and then I'm like, I'm always like, whew, somehow at the last minute. And a lot of times it is in the editing process where you fix this nagging thing that you know is there. And I, I always say this and it's true. And you probably might know this too. It's like, when your book is 98% finished, it's like 0% finished. It's crap <laughs> because it's like, you know, you know that there's, you know, where all the bodies are buried, all the things that aren't, don't work, that aren't fixed. So it's literally that last 2% is when you have a book. And I, I'm always like, if I die a week before I turn a book in, they wouldn't be able to publish it. They'd be like, what is this nonsense? You know, yeah. um, it, it really does take the, the very last second of connecting dots and putting things together where, where. I can be proud of the thing that I've been working on for six months. Yeah. Whew. You know, and you've done it. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. And we'll, we're going to dig a little bit deeper. And I'm, I'm trying to move as quickly as I can. But you've done this in a relatively short amount of time. This has not been a thing that you started like 40 years ago and you're finally starting to hit it, you know? Yeah. Yes and no. I actually spent 15 years writing my first book. Uh, I started it when I was... 22 and I finished it when I was 37 and it wasn't that it took 15 years to write. It was that I was just picking it up and putting it down and I had an idea for a story and I, I, I never really believed that anything would happen with it, but it was fun to do. And as I wrote it, I got more and more passionate and finally I finished it in 2005 
And then I wrote my second book and I never even sent that to an agent or anything. I did nothing with it. And then I wrote my second book like in seven months because once you've done it, it, you know, I always say everything is cheapened by my ability to do it. You know, everything that I think is like so impossible. It's like once I've done it, it's like, oh, well, I did it. It can't be that hard. Um, so then I then I just started cranking out another book and another book. And Gray Man was my fourth novel that I finished. But, uh, you know, I got published when I was 42. I'm 54 now. So I've, I've been at this 12 years. Um, but I wanted to be a writer for 20 years before I was published. I just wasn't, you know, working the right way or working hard enough. Wow. Good for you. Um, you know, I, I, we're going to jump into CR6 in, in a quick second, but I, there's something else that you have done that I'm a huge fan of. Uh, again, referencing radio. I love, uh, grew up wanting to be in radio. I, I was one of the dreams I finally achieved and I always loved radio drama, which was way before my time even in radio yeah. theater. And so you're bringing that back uh, with your series, Armored series on yeah. Audible, which yeah. was released at the end of last year. And I have a tiny little sample. Do you, is it okay if I play that for us? My oh, love, yeah, for sure, yeah. body armor i'll engage out the back window try to keep the pursuers back and i'll call it in just drive and report anything you see yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> officer officer and bravo six we are taking fire time now panther is kia repeat panther kia bnr request immediate qrf and cows back to the intersection of rafika riri and clemenceau the Bravo 6, Op Center copies all. Understand Panzer KIA and body not recovered. I have you geolocated on Al Ibrahim, moving east to That's affirmed. We have Tabby and are en route to rally point. That is superbly done. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, that, I, I wrote the words and it was hard. I thought it was hard to do to, to get all the sound cues and all these things. You know, it's, a, it's an audio play, so it's like a screenplay, um, but, you know, everything has to be done with audio references. Sure. Uh, but when I turned it in, I had no idea what they were going to do with it, honestly. And I, I was up in at audibles in New Jersey for a pre-production meeting. And they were like, well, you've given us quite a few challenges. There's a lot of characters here and there's 13 different um, Mexican characters. And, you know, and I was like, I'm a writer. I can put my stories on the moon or whatever. I don't, I don't know any different. And, uh, they, you know, they were excited by the story, though. And when once I heard the first snippets, which I didn't even hear till about three weeks before the it was released in December, um, I was like so so happy to hear it. Uh, it is it is kind of a different medium, and it's not necessarily what everybody expects. But anybody that listens to the sample before getting it on Audible should know what to expect because it is a it's a five and a half hour play, and yeah. um, it's you know it's all audio. And I think there's 27 characters or, you know, different different actors and actresses that they use for it. Sound effects, music, everything. And I'm really happy with how it turned out. Well, kudos to you. The um, I did one of my first novels, uh, The Poser, um, and I did the audio book myself, read that. And then I did the audio design and I did mm -hmm. a similar thing. I, I only kind of interspersed it with nuance. You're really a full on play. So everything. Yeah really is as though you need to watch the film without your eyes and yeah superbly done thank you so much i appreciate it it was you know it was actually audible came to me a few years ago 
and said they have this new medium, they're trying to develop it and they would want to know if I had something. So I had this failed screenplay that I've been working on forever and was bloated and it was a mess, but I really thought the story was interesting. It was about these uh, private military contractors from America who are lost up in the Sierra Madre mountains of Mexico and surrounded by drug cartels and a lot of double crossing and, and political stuff going on. So I had that idea and I went to them. I was like, listen, I will do your audio play if you like if you like this story, if you like where I'm going with this, because this is the idea that I want to flesh out right now. And um, and it you know, they agreed. And then I wrote it over a couple of years and I actually optioned the audio play to Sony Pictures with Michael Bay to produce. And uh, so that's I've got that in Hollywood as well. I have a novelized version of it, kind of a bigger expanded story coming out as well in July. Well, yeah, you jumped me there. I was going to say Michael Bay and uh, Erwin Stoff, who are, mm -hmm. uh, let's see, Michael Bay is Armageddon and Transformers and Erwin was the Matrix. So once again, yeah. your work is in the best hands it could for sure. possibly be. I know. I, I, yeah, I'm so happy. I, uh, I'm waiting for them to write the screenplay for that and to see if see if that can get some traction. And honestly, if it takes 13 years like the gray man did, I'm, I'm still happy with that. If it takes 25 years, I'm still happy with that. You know, when I first, uh, it's all about you, but I'm going to take a slight departure because when I, when I decided I really wanted to write and this, and I was still in radio, I thought I tried to figure out who would be the guy that I most wanted to be like. And it was Michael Crichton. Oh, wow. Yeah, sure. Because Michael Crichton was doing it the exact way I want to do it. He was writing the stories, then he was converting to screenplay, then he was executive producing. So he was double and triple yeah. and quadruple dipping, right? But he was the yeah. mastermind behind it all. Yeah. And uh, I mean, if you talk about Crichton, the, the, his books are just all so different. They're all so good and they're all so different. And he has the only books in my life that I've ever read, read the entire book in one day. I'm not a fast reader, but Sphere, I read that in one day. And I think, um, is it Rising Sun? Is that the one about, uh, uh, it's it, the one they made a movie with, uh, Sean Connery and like Wesley Snipes or something. Yes. Um, yeah, I feel it was called Rising Sun. Um, but yeah, gosh, I'm a huge Michael Crichton fan. We lost him way too early, unfortunately. Way too early. So my real point to that is, and I'm pivoting off of, and yes, uh, Rising Sun, Sean Connery, Wesley Snipes, Harvey Keitel. Yeah. Oh, that was such a good movie. Yeah, yeah. 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 In, in, in this, this is that you're like, in my opinion, which is probably why uh, the fanboy in me kicks out, is like since Michael's not around, you're, you're the guy that I kind of most like want to live my life after. Cause I mean, oh, you're, hey. I mean, I know that sounds kind of whatever, but you're doing the exact thing that I dream of. And, uh, I, I, without goofing off here, do you find yourself every once in a while, you have to find yourself every once in a while, just kind of waking up, pinching yourself going, is this really happening to me? I mean, yeah, that happens a lot. And it happens in kind of weird ways and weird stages. And uh, I, I worked with Tom Clancy on his last three books and then wrote four more Jack Ryan books over a space of a few years. So I wrote seven books in six years. And I, I did my last Clancy book in the end of 2016 is when it came out. And I that's five years ago, six years ago. And I look back now and I'm like, did that really happen? Like, literally, did I imagine that whole thing? It's like, how did I get that? Clancy thing. So I don't, I don't walk around going like I build and build and build. It's sort of like, wait, I did that thing a few years ago. That's so weird. It's like, it's still incredible because Clancy was my favorite author and my dad's favorite author. And, um, it was so, uh, 
you know, that's just one example. And the film is like something that you just sort of like remember is happening. Uh, my wife is fascinated by the fact that it's not really part of our life. We don't talk about it that much. And then someone will say something about it. She's like, yeah, it's so weird because I'll be like, oh yeah, th there's, there's that movie, you know, and they just, just saw some video from it. It was released by Netflix this week. And, and uh, you know, so we obviously we're talking about it this week, but it's, it's not part of every day. You know, I saw on, uh, I think it was on audible.com when I was researching your audio book uh, or this radio play, and I saw you referencing all of Tom's books, and I thought, how many people walking the planet get a chance to, to do that? And that yeah. was part of that thing that triggered my thinking of, like, he's got to just wake up every once in a while and going, who the hell am I? You know what I mean? <clears throat> yeah, the, yeah. The first time I was in Tom Clancy's office, I was sitting there with him and he was talking about uh, jets, uh, engines that the Chinese were buying from the French for their fighter planes or something like that. And I remember go going, you know, this is just one little moment in my life, but it's like, it is not lost on me how surreal this is. I'm sitting in Tom Clancy's office with his, ball caps on the wall and everything else he's at his desk and i'm sitting in front of him and, and we're talking about things that i enjoyed reading about in, in clancy novels and uh you know it was just a very very surreal experience it reminds me of something i'm always saying to my wife when we're in a really cool situation there's just something magical happening i'm going i want you to make sure you stop and you take a little moment to step outside yourself and observe this because this is yeah. going to be one of those things that you're going to remember later yeah and we do it all the time and we'll, we'll, we're, we're constantly doing it. Do you remember that one moment that so-and-so and it's, yeah. I think it's just part of those little jewels of yeah. life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's last fall. I got the amazing opportunity to fly backseat in an F-18 fighter plane with the U S Naval reserve. And it was the coolest thing I've ever done, of course. And I, as it, you know, it's a 90 minute flight or something and we're going Mach one and we're doing all sorts of different things. And, I, I was in the plane going, I'm never going to get to do this again. This is, you know, it's like, it's so sad. This is my one shot. And then it's like, wait, this is your shot. This is your moment. You have to enjoy it and stop lamenting the fact that you can't do it tomorrow morning. You know, it's like, you, you just have to appreciate it when it, when it happens. Isn't that funny? And isn't that such a human thing to do? Oh my God, I'm right here in this. And you know, tomorrow I won't be able to. We'll yeah. be, be there now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Don't look through your camera the whole time. Actually experience uh, what it is that you're that you're doing or seeing. Yeah, don't get me started with this whole, um, you're at an event and you're doing all this stuff. Well, I'm like, why don't yeah. you just stop and enjoy the moment that you, you can find this duplicated somewhere else? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I feel the same way. Um, speaking of that F-18, and I love the way that you do research, and we always kind of joke, oh, I had to take this trip to do research. But I mean, <laughs> you know, you're shooting rifles on faux battlefields. You're in training with some of the best. And, um, you know, I, I, I was asking myself, I wonder if he, if Mark snuck in an, a, a cameo appearance in Armored. Did you by any chance? Oh, audio? No, God, that would have been neat. Although I just, I don't, you know, I, my voice, like when they first said they were going to adapt my books for audiobook, I was like, I don't have to read them, do that, do I? <laughs> because <laughs> that is, that's not my forte. And honestly, this is a, just a fascinating thing about Armored. I would looked up some of the actors to see what other things they had done. And there's a character in the play 
um, who goes, his, his nickname is NASCAR. He's from Alabama. He's like a former NASCAR driver. And he's the driver on one of these gun trucks. And he has the most Southern accent. You know, I wrote him very Alabama country boy or whatever. The guy who plays him in Armored, you look at his credits and he played King George on ha in Hamilton in the Chicago production of Hamilton. And it just blows my mind that actors have these, this ability to be one thing and then to be something else. And that's not something that I have. So I did not do a cameo because uh, I didn't want to cheapen the product, I guess. <laughs> I'll let the professionals do that. Oh, man. Yeah, I can see that now. Young too. Young too. Um, let's get into Sierra Six, this 500-page thrill-a-minute novel. And there's so many things. Um, I wonder if you'd do me this favor so that I am careful not to spoil it. Can you, can you give me a little tiny synopsis of it? Sure. It's, uh, this is the first book that there's really two timelines in the story. Um, 12 years ago, my hero, Court Gentry, was a young CIA officer who is pulled into a paramilitary unit uh, almost against his will to go to Pakistan to try and stop a terrorist from detonating uh, what are called RDDs or dirty bombs, radioactive dispersal device uh, against coalition forces. So that's 12 years ago in the past, but you also see him in the present. Uh, it goes back and forth in the present where he has just come across a ghost from that really horrible mission that he was on 12 years ago. And that sends him on kind of a race against time to try and stop an even bigger attack in the present. So you see him as a young kind of cocky paramilitary. And then you see him now, 12 years later, he's older, he's wiser, he's a freelance intelligence uh, asset, I guess. And the two stories are woven together and there's two ticking clocks and there's two, um, you know, two totally different plots, two sets of characters along with with the hero. And it's, you know, it's 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 a wild ride with a ton of intrigue and and a very personal story for the hero for the hero, Court Gentry, which I think is super important in these type of books. It's like don't make everything so macro or geopolitical that, you know, you lose the personal stakes of the story. So that's all in there as well couple of things that I really loved about it was that very fact. I felt like I was getting to know a guy who was on a mission and doing this thing, but I was getting to know him and I got to watch him grow up. Yeah. Yeah. What made you decide to do two parallel universes simultaneously, which I loved. And at first it took me a second. I'm like, well, but once you get in the rhythm, it's brilliant. It's like you're reading two books at the same time. Did your publisher, I'm asking you a lot of stuff right away. Did your yeah. publisher go, you won't do what? <laughs> well, I did have this. I did have a conversation with my editor because I'd always talked about maybe doing an origin story and showing early gray man stuff. But the problem with that was what are what are the stakes and going back in the past? You know, something that you've already alluded to and fleshing that out in a book. There's really no stakes. People that have read the series are going to know that the hero survives or whatever. So. But I, I, I like the idea of showing snippets from his past. So I thought about, well, what if there's something in his past that relates to something in the present? And so I talked to my editor about it and he warned me he, and I didn't quite get him at the time, but I learned really quickly what he was talking about. He said, you know, you can't, what it, whichever timeline, you know, the, the, the past or the present, they, they have to be semi-equal. Otherwise you're going to be, go 200 pages without talking about 
you know, the setup in the past and people were going to sort of not follow that very well. So I was like, yeah, okay. So once I started working on, I was like, oh my gosh, he wasn't kidding. So the book, like all my books, is pretty long. It's 165,000 words and it's essentially two 82,000 word novels woven into one. Then everything relates. Uh, so you'll see something that happened in the past and then in the present, there's, there's something that's relevant to that. But um, it was, yeah, it was something that I did have this conversation with my editor and he's like, okay, that's a cool idea, but here's the pitfalls you're going to come into. And then I had to kind of discover that for myself again, that he was right. Well, and for those who uh, have not read Mark, or maybe you're in the process of picking this book up, or you're thinking to yourself, oh, you, maybe you're a gal and you're thinking it's a dude's book. Uh, I say au contraire, because there are <laughs> not, not one, but two love stories that are inter intertwined within. So uh, that was a really nice touch. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't overdone or syrupy or gooey. It was Good. just Thank you. really uh, heartfelt. And it also made me go, I wonder if Mark's a romantic. <laughs> well, no, I'm, I think I'm in the, I, I think I, I write the genre that's best for me, but I, I do like, you know, you, any, any story you write, whether, whatever the genre, it's, it's all about the human condition. So I don't just want to have guys, you know, aiming their sniper rifles for 500 pages. You know, there has to be a lot more. And when I'm portraying my hero, Court Gentry, as a young man, a 25 year old man who is not, he's, he's been trained up his entire life for what he does for a living, but the rest of the world is a little bit of a mystery to him. He's not James Bond. He's not suave and debonair. Um, he's just, befuddled by women, the, the little bit of experience he has. And, um, and yeah, he meets this uh, young woman who also works for the CIA and their relationship is unique for, for a number of reasons. And not the, not the, the biggest or the smallest is that they're in Afghanistan trying to stop a terrorist over the border in Pakistan. But yeah. I wanted, I wanted to show, uh, you know, a 25 year old guy with 15 things going on meeting uh, a young woman and the two of them have some shared experiences and shared interests and see that, see where that goes. Mission accomplished. And yeah. I wasn't, by the way, inferring that you should to branch off and do romance. I'm not saying <laughs> that, but, uh, but it, it does take a certain kind of guy to be able to tap into the romantic side of oneself yeah. in order to pull certain members of the audience and, or a cross pollination, uh, pollinization of that audience to go, Oh, so you, you've got shoot them up, bang, bang. And the guy's yeah. a real dude trying to figure out girls. Cause he was clearly, uh, moderately inept. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd written him that way. Um, you know, he just doesn't, he, he worked in a shoot house that his dad ran, you know, training police and uh, law enforcement, other SWAT units and stuff for, since he was a kid, since he was, you know, could walk basically. He's had some involvement in that world and really no involvement in any other world. He's in my story, he's pulled into the CIA when he's 20 years old or 19 years old. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to show, you know, it, it wouldn't make sense for him to have all of the the skills, the tactical skills, the martial skills, the tradescraft skills. And by the way, he's also, you know, suave and debonair. Like when sure. did he learn that? Yeah. <laughs> when did he learn that stuff? You know, and so I wanted to, you know, portray that, you know, all these all these books are over the top in some way. 
but it's the author's job to work their butt off to sell it and make it feel like, make it feel real. Yeah. And so, you know, a 25 year old guy in that situation might very well find himself in that situation with women as well. Yeah. Well, and you just referenced kind of what James Bond, the whole, that whole series was really kind of based upon. And I read something maybe this morning, uh, perhaps through your Wikipedia page, something to the tune of they, oh, I know what it is. They're seeing the gal from uh, the last James Bond movie pop up. And I'm trying to think of her name. It's a three word name. Um, and she, and they were seeing her coming up in this new uh, gray man. And they thought, oh, I'm having a Jones for some James Bond. Oh yeah, I, I, Anna de Armas. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She was adorable. Yeah. Yeah, and she's it, she's going to be great in the Gray Man. Her character is is really really cool. So, uh, I read the script, so I know. <laughs> Good for you. All right, we're uh, running out of time, and I I want to be able to squeeze in my rapid fire questions. If you haven't heard about that, that's a lot of fun. So that's coming up. But I want to ask this, and I have to ask this. Uh, it's not pure fanboy because it's so many of my listeners and viewers are writers themselves. And I'm, and I know you're asked this a lot, I'm sure, but it's something that so many of them, many of whom are trying to find this journey for themselves, love to hear a successful writer's advice. So I heard you say somewhere that your best piece of advice was the gist of it being to complete something, but can you take that one step further and, and tell my audience your best piece of advice you could give them? Yeah, I mean, advice is always, you know, has to be geared to, towards where the writer is on the journey because I'll, I'll have people come up to me and they're like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a writer. I can't think of anything to write about. And I'm like, oh, you know, I, I can't help you there. Or sometimes it'll, they'll be at the stage like I have two finished manuscripts and how do I get an agent? That's a, another piece of advice. But my overall general thing, the thing that helped me the most when I was, you know, working a day job in a cubicle and dreaming of being an author was I had this book, as I said, it took me 15 years to write about 10 years into that or 11, 12 years into that. I was still a million miles from being completed. I just put it to side and I wrote a novella. I just had an idea for a story that turned out to be a hundred page story, but I wrote the beginning, the middle, the end. Every time I got to a roadblock, I found a way through it or a speed bump. I found a way over it and I edited it got it as good as I could. And then I did another, and then I did another. And it, it just sort of struck me that once I went back to the novel, it's like, okay, I've, I've, I've told a complete story before, because what happens is people will write the easy parts of a book and then they'll go write the easy parts of another book or go write the easy parts of another book. And when they get these hurdles in front of them, uh, it seems to me, cause I've, I have conversations with these people a lot, they'll move on to something else. And, you know, your objective isn't to have 15 incomplete <laughs> stories. You're never going to get anywhere with that. So you have to learn every part of the craft. You know, you can't just have a cool idea. You can't just know how to write. You need both of those things. And then you also need to know how to edit. And you also need to, to you know, know how to get over these roadblocks. But, you know, a, encouragement that I give people is like, there's a million people that want to be writers. There's probably a hundred thousand that pick up a pen or open their laptop. There's probably 50,000 that write more than 10 chapters. And there's probably 10,000 that write, you know, 80% of a book and there's 
2000 that write a book and there's a hundred that get published because they did all the job edit editing it. And I say all that to say, every time you come up to one of these speed bumps, I mean, they're all great reasons to quit because you're like, what do I do now? But if you can manage to find your way over that speed bump, you just left a hundred thousand people in the dust and you're getting, you know, you're getting more rarefied <laughs> the, the, the further you keep going. So I feel like even if it's a short story or anything, start, start it, complete it, edit it, make it as perfect as you can, do what they always tell you to do, put it aside for a while, work on something else, go back to it, look at it with fresh eyes. So that whole process, if you can do it on a small scale, you can do it on a, a larger scale. So I, it, I think I wrote three novellas. I just had little ideas for stories. And then I went back to my novel and it was just so much, it was so much more doable at that point. And I'd spent a, a lot of time spinning my wheels before I'd actually completed something. And I would be remiss if I didn't ask this adjoining question. And I know your very first submission to an agent, if I recall correctly, uh, kind of went. Yeah. So what tell describe to me in my audience that moment when all of a sudden you handed a, a product in, whether query or otherwise, and they went, oh, yeah, yeah, this will work or we can do something with that. Yeah, well, I'm glad this isn't the lightning round because it's a long story, but I can give you the 15 second version. I, I met an agent um, after I finished my second book and he was going to be at a, a writer's conference and would read 10 pages of, uh, you know, what someone's submission. Sure. So he read it and he loved it. But when I, I told him the rest of the story, uh, he kind of his eyes kind of glazed over and he said, yeah, that's probably a little too ambitious for somebody that's never been published. But I like your writing. Stay in touch. So I wrote a whole nother book, gave it to him. And he's, he came back to me and he's like, you know, you're on the right track, but this doesn't really work. And then I wrote a whole nother book. And then it was actually the fourth book where he read it and he's like, okay, I, I might be able to sell this. And it was, everything was very sort of couched into like, you know, we'll see. And he sent it out to 10 publishers and nine publishers turned it down and the 10th picked it up. And that publisher is still my publisher to this day. And that agent is still my agent to this day. So, you know, we all kind of, well, they took a gamble on me. Um, I was looking for anybody that would represent me <laughs> or anybody that would publish me, but they took a gamble on me. And so fortunately, I'm really happy that it's paid off for, for all of us. Paid off indeed. And then some, <laughs> wow, what a great story okay. and a great encouragement to just keep going. Yeah. And the other thing I say is, Every, at this day and age, I think it's like the American idolization of Amer of the U.S. or something. Like everybody feels like there's a shortcut. You know, every every day I could open my email now and read you somebody that just wants you know to buy me coffee or something and talk to me. And it's and it's all just like to get access to my agent or publisher or some sort of secret sauce. And when I was a writer, I wasn't like seeking out other writers to you know to get a leg up or something. There's just when, when I explain to these people that I have my own books that haven't been published, but then they realize I can't necessarily get you published just because you know me. <laughs> but, I, you know, what I tell people is it's just I didn't know anybody who was an author. I didn't know anybody who knew anybody who was an author. I just wanted to be a writer and I just worked and worked and worked and, you know, enjoyed doing it. But I, I worked at it. So there's there's not a secret handshake to get published. It's not a racket against you. If an agent thinks they can make money off of you, if they think if they think you'll make enough money to where 15% of it is significant to them, they will represent you. That's that's the there's no secret to it. There's no secret sauce to it. So it's tough to get published, 
but you know, if you, if you walk around with a chip on your shoulder thinking like it's impossible and you can't do it, it's like, as I said, I didn't know anybody who was a, who was a published author when, when I became a published author. So it's, it's all about that work that you turn into them. If it, if it has the quality that they want, they will publish. you. Excellent. All right. As we are running out of time, Mark, and I want to be respectful of your time, we, we do need to squeeze in some rapid fire questions because they're right. just they're just fun. Uh, I'm going to start you off with a layup. Um, what's the one item, the one piece of technology, a weapon, a tool besides your cell phone that you can't live without on a daily basis? Oh, me personally? Yeah, you. Oh, okay. Hmm. I mean, I, it's gotta be my laptop. I mean, I, I, I write all day, every day and I, yeah. and I use it. I mean, I'd love to say my Glock 19 or my uh, uh, six hour uh, pistol that I'm wearing now, but it's, it's not that sexy. It's my laptop because I use it to make a living and I use it to communicate and I use it to talk to you. Um, and it is, it is never more than a hundred feet away from me at, at any point in my life. So yeah, not, nothing more exciting than that. And you're actually wearing a cig right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I was you're trying in, to think. I was you're in think your house, right? Yeah, I'm actually in my brother's house. We've had a power out. Uh, we had a big ice storm the other day, and my power's been out for like five days. So my brother lives close by, and he's got power. So here we are. Oh wow! <laughs> One word for you, generator. Yeah, I have a generator at my house. It is poorly. Uh, it is attached poorly. It is, it is powering things I don't need and not powering things I do need like the internet. So yeah. we're going to get that tweaked. <laughs> I learned a long ago living in Los Angeles with earthquakes. Uh, you needed to yeah. power your oh. fridge and your internet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Question number two on rapid fire questions. Hollywood loved your gray man movie starring uh, Ryan Gosling on Netflix so much, Mark, that they want to turn Sierra six into a TV series. But with one caveat, or shall I say requirement, you must play a character in the series. So the question is, which character in Sierra 6 will you play and why? Uh, I would play uh, Matthew Hanley. He is uh, Court's handler. He's older than Court, as I would be. And um, he's, uh, he's a smart, interesting guy. He doesn't have the perfect moral compass. I'd like to think I do, but I think that would be an interesting character to play. And, um, you know, Hanley is, is of the right age and uh, he doesn't have to like climb up fences and jump off buildings like uh, some of the other characters in the story do. So, I mean, my spine would love for me to play uh, Matt Hanley because he is uh, sitting at a, at, on the seventh floor of CIA or, or, or something like that. And uh, I think that's, that's a doable character for me. Your spine thanks you. That's good. Yeah. Okay, it's it's morning. Your alarm has gone off and you've woken up not in your current lovely Memphis home, but a tired old apartment and you're about to head into work as a bartender, one of your former jobs. What's the one thing that you miss most about that old job of yours? And what's the best lesson that you learned that you currently carry into your current life as a bartender? Oh. That's a great question. No one's ever asked me that. It's it's an easy answer though for me. That that's a layup. Um, the people that I was around. I mean, you know, when you're a writer, you're by yourself all day. Um, I live. I work at home, so I, my wife is there, and uh, you know, I have an editor and an agent and people I talk to. But 
that camaraderie of just being young and being with, uh, you know, a bunch of the same people all the time. If, if you love them or you hate them, it still just becomes a family. And I miss that a lot. And, and the thing that I took away from it that I carry with me is just, uh, it's just a way of dealing with people. You know, it's, it's, I feel like everybody should be in retail or the service industry or something at some point in their life, because then you see how it is. And, uh, you know, if I've ever in my life seen somebody who's not polite to a server or whatever, I, you know, that, that tells me everything I need to know about that character, eat their character. Um, and then, you know, a lot of times you'll be at a restaurant and the, the service isn't that good. And I'll look around, I'll be like, yeah, she's got five tables right now and they just double set her. And, you know, it's just like, you, you kind of know this whole thing. You can read the room really, really quickly and realize it's not their fault. But I think character wise, it's really important to um, know how to deal with all sorts of people. And, you know, your job is to make sure their evening, you know, goes off without a hitch because they're spending their hard earned money. And I think, I think that can be parlayed into other, you know, trades and aspects of life. Absolutely. Great answer. And you're so right. Not only can you tell uh, a lot about a person by how they treat the service or the help, uh, but also how they tip them. Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah. Do, do you think they're doing this because they just love your snappy or, you know? Yeah, we, we used to always say that it was the kiss of death if somebody was like too nice to you because it's like that's in lieu of a tip. You know, like while you're waiting on them, they're just so gushingly friendly with you. You're like, that's the kiss of death. We're going to get a bad tip because the, this is this is how they think they're paying for us. So it's nice if you're nice to people and tip them well. <laughs> yeah. Two things. Yeah. Kind of goes hand in hand. Yeah. All right. Uh, number four, you and your wife, Mark, are joining me and my wife, Tammy, for a lovely dinner at our home here in San Diego. Now, in order to make the evening even more interesting, if that's even possible, we want you to invite two people to join us whom you think would add a great deal to our evening. They can come from any background. They can be living or dead. Who are they and why? So it's you two, us two, and two extra. Anybody okay. would love to have us. Oh, uh, you know, not to get political, but there was a political commentator who passed away a few years ago named Charles Krauthammer. And I read every co column he did for the longest time, conservative, but a very empathetic, uh, just a wonderful, wonderful man. And so people say, like, who would you love to have a conversation with that you haven't? And um, I would say Charles Krauthammer. And I would also say Jason Isbell. He's a musician, um, Americana music. He's absolutely my favorite musician. And uh, I follow him on Twitter and all this other stuff. And, you know, he's just like, he, he followed me back on Twitter and I was like squealing like a, a schoolgirl. I was so excited. Um, but he's, he's a, a super interesting guy and there's, there's not a better writer of anything than, than Jason Isbell. So uh, I would have those two people who probably wouldn't have a ton in common with each other, but you know, I bet everybody we'd all get along and we'd all have, all have a great time. It's all about really good conversation, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, and if you follow me back, I promise I'll squeal like a girl and send you a, an audio copy of it. Um, <laughs> I can make that happen. That's easy. All right, Mark, last one. What's one piece of advice someone from your past gave you, kind of similar to what we've done, but someone gave you a piece of advice that you still live by today? It could be your dad, your you know, anybody. Yeah. My dad uh, was a journalist. He was the head of uh, the local NBC affiliate. Uh, TV station here in Memphis and uh, super impactful person in my life. Wonderful guy. He passed away before I ever got published, before I even finished the first unpublished novel. 
Um, so he never saw any of this, but we were both big fans of reading and he knew that I wanted to be a writer. And he told me, and this came from journalism, he told me, because I was talking about like, you know, getting information to write books, like where you get information from. And he told me, you'll be surprised by how much people like to talk. If you talk to people and ask them, you know, like a reporter goes up to interview somebody um, and me as a writer, I'll go up and ask somebody. And obviously I'll get the non-classified version if I'm talking to somebody at the Pentagon or CIA or something like that. But people love to talk. And that's something I take with me all the time because I have a little social anxiety about asking people things. And, um, you know, somebody will be like, well, I can hook you up with this guy who was a pilot in Afghanistan and this happened. And and I don't really want to reach out to them. But then I think to myself, you know, my, my dad was right because I've, you know, I've, I've challenged, I've, I've tested this <laughs> a thousand times and people do like to talk. And, um, you know, if, if you're a, an author trying to research something, you know, just go go to a primary source and see if they'll talk to you. And I've, I've had a few times where people are like, yeah, no, sorry, I can't even communicate with somebody that's going to write about it. Um, but 85% of the time, it's really successful. And I, and I, I use that, uh, I use that mantra all the time that people, people want to talk, you just have to go ask. That's great advice. And I also, I think this, Mark, see if you agree, is that sometimes we're afraid that they're, we're, we're going to impinge on their time or we're afraid yeah. that they're too busy for us. But in reality, we don't know what life is like sitting in their chair. And sometimes they, I always go on the, re, uh, on the uh, thinking, all you can do is say no. And all yeah. you can do is say, look, I'm too busy right now, but I can talk later. But 99 times out of a hundred, they'll go, yeah, sure. Yeah. Come on down. Yeah. Talk to me. Yeah. So yeah. I, I agree with you totally. Absolutely. All right, folks, to learn more, go to his website, markgrainybooks.com. You can follow him on Twitter, which we all do, at Mark Graney Book without the S. And then Instagram and Facebook is Mark Graney Books. I'm assuming that's no S on the Twitters because you ran out of... Ran out of characters. Yeah. <laughs> couldn't, I couldn't buy an S. Uh. <laughs> hey, here's a little known fact, too. Um, when I was researching who to build my website because I, I used to build websites and I've, I learned a long time ago fooey balooey let somebody else do it because you'll just spend your whole life doing it your your website and Brad Taylor's got my attention I don't know how that happened and you're with That's the same, same company yeah. they now built mine and uh big kudos yeah oh yeah terrific yeah no and I, I went to Brad because I liked his website several years ago now like seven eight years ago and I said, what do you think of them? And he's like, yeah, I like them. So that's that I have it. I have the same company because of Brad. Awesome. Insert plug here. Thank you. Author bites. Author bites. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mark, this has been absolutely delightful. I hope I didn't uh, fanboy on you too much. No, I enjoyed it. I appreciate it. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks again to Mark Graney for joining the show today. What an honor to have such a talent on the show. Now, moving on to next week's podcast, my special guest and Bronze Star decorated veteran of the Iraq War will be J.B. Stevens, a crime fiction junkie who's found success publishing on websites and in magazines and anthologies. So please make plans to join J.B. and me as we discuss his short story compilation releasing this month called A Therapeutic Death. That's next time right here on The Thriller Zone.
The Thriller Zone has been presented by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller.